Blog Talk Radio. January. What a crazy month it has been in sports. We're going to guide you through all the craziness of sports, and today we honor a, a very true legend, and that's the passing of Hank Aaron. Uh, we're going to be talking throughout the show about Hank Aaron, and we've got a pretty cool um, memory to show to share with uh, Ed Kratz a little bit later on uh, today, so we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about that. And also today, we bring back Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of SpeedwayDigest.com, and our official NASCAR contributor. We're going to be talking some NASCAR. Tony Donahue for the Tony D Podcast joins us. And the 10 o'clock hour, we're going to be talking about Philip Rivers, the Super Bowl. Yeah, some college hoops in it. And as Ford mentioned, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and SI.com, and our official NFL contributor joins us at 1030 at the bottom and the last order, and he also has a memory of Hank Aaron that he's going to share with us. But standing by in the balance green room is Rick Riggin, our official college football extraordinaire, uh, go-to guy for all points of everything. <laughs> We'll be joining us. My name is Tom Marcus Al Presidente. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. 
Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. I've been playing 4 on 4 with a barbershop quartet. Pass the ball, pass the rock. We're open, just pass the ball. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, they're one of my eyes. We're moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA. Love your home. Sullivan of the Red Sox is in to face Hank Aaron of the Braves. Boom! Boom! Aaron drives a one Baseball legend Hank Aaron has died. Hammer and Hank was known as the home run king, one of the best players in the history of the game. In the spring of 1974, Aaron broke Babe Ruth's all-time home run record of 714 when he hit his 715th home run. When Aaron retired in 1976, he had 755 lifetime home runs, a record that stood for over 30 years. Hammering Hank Aaron is the RBI leader of the Hank ball. Aaron follows with a scorching liner through the shortstop for a base. Hank Aaron was raised in the Jim Crow South and had to contend with racism throughout his storied career. While Babe Ruth's playing years were spent exclusively in segregated all-white leagues, Aaron began playing for a so-called Negro League team. He joined the Braves organization in 1952 and spent the majority of his baseball years there. According to the Baseball Hall of Fame, Muhammad Ali once called Hank Aaron the only man I idolize more than myself. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1982. Hank Aaron was 86. All right, welcome back to the balance today. We honor Hank Aaron, one of the greatest baseball players of all time, certainly uh, when it comes to home runs, that's for sure. And to, to quote Hank Aaron, my motto was always to keep swinging whether I was in a slump or feeling badly or having trouble off the field, the only thing to do was to keep swinging. And helping us to keep swinging today is Rick Reagan. And, uh, Rick, I know you're a lifetime Braves fan, as is my nephew, Hank Aaron. What are your thoughts, sir? Well, it means that sports, really, not just baseball or not just the Braves, but all the sports lost uh, one of its greatest heroes. You know, you're absolutely right about that. And 
you, you talk about home run hitters, and you think about the home run hitters that we we've talked talked about in in recent years. And one could even say that he might even be because he broke Babe Ruth's records. I don't know. You could say that he's uh, was a better baseball player than Babe Ruth, but certainly in a different time and a different era. And especially in today's world, the unfortunate world that we live in, in in the way that things have have unfolded, uh, it's it's good to remember where we were at and where we are now with sports, especially when it comes to the African-American community and the milestones that was broken by Hank Aaron. When you look at his career, of course, uh, before me, I was born in 79, but uh, <laughs> just a little steroid scandal involved with Hank Aaron. He did it the right way. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. baseball's right. true home run king. It's not Barry Bonds. It, it's Hank Aaron. Uh Hank Aaron had a lot tougher path. Think about when he's coming down to the end and breaking Babe Ruth's record, what era in time and history that was with all the racism and all the death threats and everything that he faced when he got close to Babe Ruth. Uh, so what he did is, might be the greatest feat in sports history. No, and, and I totally agree, and that's why we, we honor him today and we, we uh, memorialize him. And throughout the show, we'll be talking about Hank Aaron. And you're a Braves fan. Does it feel a little bit different? Because, uh, I mean, being a Braves fan, being a lifelong Braves fan, does it, does it does does Hank Aaron passing feel a little bit different than maybe? I mean, well, the Braves have seen a, a few passes uh, over the last thirty thirty days. Does it feel a little yeah, bit different a as a as as a Braves fan? Does it does it feel a little bit different? Uh, to see some of the, the great legends of, of the Braves pass on? Well, it, it, the way it feels for me, because like, like you just mentioned, it's been a tough month uh, for the Braves, you know, losing Phil Negro, then Don Sutton just, uh, what, three, four days ago, and now Hank Aaron. Um, these are like, well, not Phil Negro, he's, you know, further down the road, but... <laughs> When you, you're growing up as a kid, these are the, the the legends, the icons that you grew up learning about, and now they're passing on. It, for me, it just it reminds me of that I'm getting older, which really sucks. So, and, and I think we've talked about this before through text. When things from our childhood pass on, you know, it just kind of reminds us of like ourselves in a way. So, uh, for me, that that's kind of where it hits me. It's not just being a Braves fan and. Hank Aaron was the old, the greatest brave of all time, and makes me sad in that way. It, it makes you just think back of my childhood, my growing up, and me learning about Hank Aaron, what I know about him, and how I'm getting older, how all the icons from my past are moving on. Well, he certainly, as you mentioned, he faced down racism. I mean, uh, it, it, as we talk about it, him passing or eclipsing Babe Ruth as baseball's home run king, hitting 755 homers and holding the most uh, celebrated record in sports for more than 30 years, uh, the the Atlanta, the Atlanta Braves was his team. Uh, and and it, that was even confirmed in, in the death statement. He played 23 season. But all but five, all but his last two years in the majors was with the Braves and and then in Milwaukee and Atlanta. Aaron was one of the greatest all ground players history in, in Major League history, 
and certainly the pioneer who stars who have actually played in what it's hard to say it these days in 2021 and especially in the world that we have, but we actually had a league called the Negro League. Yeah, it just got recognized as being a Major League Baseball, not part of the Major League Baseball that we know, but MLB did recognize it as Major League Baseball. So my question is, if they recognize it as Major League Baseball, then what about Josh Gibson? Valid point. Valid point. Because, uh, you know, this that man hit over, has confirmed over 900 home runs in his career. So is he really the home run king? of baseball now that MLB has you know confirmed the Negro League as being major league baseball. So you know it's it, it it's tricky. I, I don't know the rule on uh, what Major League Baseball's ruling is on records from the Negro League, but they did recognize the Negro League, which they should have a long time ago, as being major yeah. league baseball. And that's important because now those that played in the Negro League uh, are eligible for the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. So that's that's really huge stuff. So we honor Hank Aaron today. Uh, Rick, any final things you want to say about that before we move on to some other topics? But we just wanted to make sure, and we'll be honoring and talking about Hank Aaron throughout the show to, today as well. Uh, uh, but uh, And we've got a really cool memory that Ed Kratz is going to share with us. And I know you know what it is, uh, Rick, but uh, yeah. any, any, any final things that you got for us on, on Hank Aaron? Yeah, well, it's just something I was listening to Dan Patrick yesterday made me laugh when they asked him if he remembered his first home run, and he did. It was off a guy named Vic Rashing, who's a knuckleballer. But Hank Aaron said, yeah, my very first home run was a, off a of Vic Rashing nothing ball, and I thought that was pretty funny because this guy's really a humble <laughs> guy. And here he is still talking trash about his first home run. This is like an interview done last year mm-hmm. on the uh, 45th anniversary of him breaking uh, Babe Ruth's record. So he's, he's still talking tra- a little trash about his first home run and remembers it. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. It just kind of gives you a glimpse of what kind of uh, – he was a really humble guy, not one of the nicest guys in the world. Uh, but, uh, you know, a little bit of trash talk still on his first uh, career home run. <laughs> You know, you mentioned uh, uh, Babe Ruth and the uh, the death threats. You know that that was a reality. And believe it or not, in and okay, I, I I'm going to assume this to be fact because I've I've read it from at various different sources that all the way up until his death, he had a quote unquote hit on his head from the mafia because he broke the Babe Ruth record. I mean, it could be true. I think Roger Maris was the same way for breaking a Babe Ruth single-season home run record. He got death threats, too, but probably not the way that uh, Hank Aaron did. If he had a hit out on him this whole time, that's that's really sad. That's, you know, that's for us as human beings. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. So. (laughs) All right, well, let's move on. Let's talk college football is now a thing in the past. And after, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some some football. But after that, we're pretty much done with football till August. First of all, when we come back with football in August, are we going to come back fans of Laren? Are we going to be able to do that? I mean, I come on, man. We got it. We got some new president. Everything's going to change, isn't it? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have went there. But you know, man, I hope so. <laughs> You know, here, here's the thing I do too, and I and I hope so. But 
in all, in all, in all honesty, if that happens, I, I'm just going to say that that uh, science did what they were supposed to, and it had nothing to do whoever was sitting in in the Oval Office. But one of the things we're going to give you a a, a chance to redeem yourself uh, uh, with Melissa here. Tennessee hired a true leader in Danny White, but the Vols have a long ways to go to be relevant. What are your thoughts? What uh, are these punishments for? Uh, I, I don't know what the punishments are. I know what I know what they've done. Some of these violations <laughs> they did. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they I, got caught. They got caught handing uh, uh, recruits stacks of money in McDonald's bags. And McDonald's bags are really sloppy doing it. <laughs> but, but, but you know what? How many times have we watched Nick Saban and not just Alabama, but because I like to pick on Alabama and it's easy to do and they're an easy target. Have we watched them get on a plane with bags of Chick-fil-A's? I mean, now Saban's doing it a different way. He's not doing it out in the open like Tennessee was. And I'm sure there's hush money getting paid along the way somewhere. Not to, It ain't just the recruits getting paid. I'm thinking down Tuscaloosa. I, there's some sophisticated, uh, uh, what's the best word, shenanigans, I would say, going on down Tuscaloosa. Sophisticated shenanigans, Tom. That needs to be the title of the next show. <laughs> Hello. Are we still on? Are you on mute? Am I talking to myself in the balanced audience? (laughs) Well, Tom, if you can hear me, uh, I cannot hear you. On my end, it sounds like the show just went completely dead. So we are having technicalties here, probably with Tom's uh, mic, hoping it's Tom's mic and not really the show. So if you can still hear me, uh, we were talking about the uh, sophisticated shenanigans going on down in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I think whenever he, Nick Saban, retires, I think we're going to learn about some of this vaccine stuff in the back, background stuff, I would say about the recruiting and it, how they get all these great athletes to uh, get into Alabama and why, why it doesn't work for uh, for his uh, previous coaches, you know, like Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt. Like, Kirby Smart's underneath the uh, same fire, under the same gun at Georgia now for these recruiting violations. So, to me, it's like, where would you – where would these coach, coaches learn – how to uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Learn how to uh, get into these violations. How how to uh, try to get these uh, recruits that are school in the improper way? Uh, well, they all have one common denominator here. They were all assistant coaches at Alabama, so maybe they're not doing it as uh, sophisticated as Bama is. They're sloppy doing it, and now they're uh, now they're getting caught. 
and uh, it's really unfortunate for the sport of college football. It's the it's college football's biggest problem because uh, Clemson's probably been been it the same way, and that's why you're seeing Clemson and Bama, and maybe even Ohio State now, top three schools every single year, and it's a uh, college football's biggest problem. So. I know we started on uh, Jerry Pruitt here, but uh, I think where you learn to do that kind of thing is uh, being on the staff at Alabama. Okay, Rick, can you hear us? Yep, got you now. I don't know what's going on. We're having some technical difficulties, but we are working our way through it. So I I did not hear what you, you were just talking about. Go ahead and recap what you were just talking about real quickly. Well, I was talking about how Jeremy Pruitt and now Kirby Smart at Georgia is underneath the same same gun under the you know getting wrecked over the coals now for these recruiting violations. Uh, but with your, you're those two coaches, where would you learn how to do this stuff? Well, there's one common thing: they were both coordinators at Alabama. So to me, that seems a little fishy. Well, yeah, absolutely, and that's the, that's the thing. What I what I'm saying is, it's not we're not just talking about uh, about Tennessee, and and uh, you know, here, here's the thing. Uh, I mean, White was was destined for a Power Five job. I mean, I mean, does it really surprise anybody that after his accomplishment at UCF and other accomplishments that he has, that Tennessee would hire him? It's kind of like a surprising hire to me because I thought that maybe they tried to get Hugh Freeze back in. We talked about Hugh Freeze here on the show, but it still might be too soon to let the, for the SEC to let him back in. Uh, so I was thinking maybe Matt Campbell from Iowa State, but I think it's a really good hire. Uh, maybe they tried to give uh, Luke Fickle a call. I don't know. To me, it's like it's a good hire, but it's a surprising hire at the same time. Well, let's talk about some of the other college uh, football hot seats, if you will. We we don't really want to call them hot seats anymore because either they're going to stay or they're going to go by now that a lot of decisions have been made. But what are some of the answers that we're still looking for in college football uh, coaching? Well, I don't think we're going to see anybody else fired. I mean, now we're going to see uh, Scott Frost really underneath the, uh, on the hot seat now because I'd be going into uh, his fourth season. And if he doesn't get things turned around, turned around at Nebraska, he's going to be going after this year, this coming season. So uh, that's one of their favorite sons, which is Jim Harbaugh's got the same situation at Michigan. He's like their favorite son. So in that way, they don't really want to fight. You know, Nebraska does not want to fire Scott Frost, but, that's one of the greatest fan bases in all of college football. And if you're not going to bring wins to Nebraska, uh, Nebraska is known for football only. I mean, they're a football school and got a coach that can't win football games. Uh, they're going to be calling for him to get fired. Well, you're a Notre Dame guy. What are we looking for out of Notre Dame coming up here in 2021? Well, it's going to be a reloading year. Uh, we've got to replace a three-year starter quarterback. We've got to only bring it back like four starters uh, from the offense. So they got to replace you know, most of the offensive line, which is one of the best lines in college football this year. Uh, they're replacing uh, pretty much almost all their defense. They have a new defensive coordinator. Uh, it's going to be a reloading year, but Jack Cohn, they, uh, 
transferred from uh, Wisconsin. He was their starting quarterback, got hurt in practice this year, and with the COVID thing, and then I think Wisconsin would play like four games, so he didn't he didn't play at all this year because of all that. Uh, but he was Wisconsin starting quarterback. Now he's graduated. He's coming in. He's going to play quarterback uh, this year, this season, this coming season at Notre Dame, and he's going to keep the seat warm uh, for Tyler Butchner, uh, who's going to be Notre Dame starter for the next three years after this year. Talking with Rick Riggin. Uh, Rick, we got you for a few more minutes. Uh, Rick Riggin is our one of our official college football extraordinaires and certainly a great member of the balance team for, for several years. Let's talk about just uh, – uh, some of the teams that come to mind. Let's talk about uh, Cincinnati uh, in 2021. What are, what are, what's our outlook for them? Well, they got to replace the defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman, because uh, Notre Dame took him. So <laughs> Marcus Freeman wanted to step up in competition. So uh, he was one of the best coordinators, defensive coordinators in college football last year. And I'm, like, really shocked that uh, I think LSU was trying to get him. Uh, I think they sent the dogs, they, they sent the house, they sent all the bags of money to Cincinnati to uh, get Marcus Freeman down to LSU, and he picked Notre Dame, which is uh, – I was really shocked by it. I'm really happy by it. I can't wait to see uh, what the defense is going to look like now underneath uh, Marcus Freeman because they're going to be really aggressive. Uh, it was a good defense under uh, Clark Lee, who's now uh, the head coach at Vanderbilt, uh, but with Marcus Freeman, uh, he, he's he's blitz crazy. He's really aggressive, and I I can't wait to see uh, here in a couple years because this year installing the new uh, the new defense, the new packages, it just doesn't take over for like a year or two. So I can't wait to see here in a couple years uh, what this is going to look like. Well, well, certainly uh, looking forward to twenty twenty one. One would think that Georgia would be on the. Uh, favorite slip, if you will, to make the college football playoffs. Uh, what are your thoughts about the, the Georgia Bulldogs? Well, they've got their quarterback now, JT Daniels. I think he's going to be a senior now, so they got one year with him to do something. Uh, they struggle with finding quarterbacks. It's, it's weird. Uh, they put together great teams, but for some reason, Kirby Smart struggles uh, struggles with quarterbacks. I mean, he let Justin Fields go uh, transfer to Ohio State. I mean, we should have been just talking about Justin Fields with Georgia, and that would have put Georgia probably <laughs> in the title game, you know, if he was still the quarterback of Georgia. But they let him transfer away. I don't understand the quarterback uh, struggles Curry Smart has down at Georgia. But JT Daniels has got another year left at Georgia. Uh, they're going to be uh, just fine, but they got to compete with Alabama in, in recruiting and winning games in the conference. So. It's still uh, Alabama heavy. And Alabama hiring Bill O'Brien as offensive coordinator now. Uh, I'm interested to see how, what that's going to look like. Because he couldn't get it done in the NFL with a Sean Watson. Uh, he's very run heavy. and I'm not, I know Nick Saban likes to run the ball. But Bama's going to look totally different this coming uh, this coming season uh, with Bill O'Brien. Uh, they're going to be really run heavy. So if you're going to Alabama to play quarterback, you're going to have an easy job just uh, handing the ball off every time. Rick Riggin, our official college football extraordinaire. Uh, real quickly, before we, we let you go, uh, what what are your thoughts about the overall handling, if you will, of corona in college football or COVID? And uh, moving forward into 2021, what do you think is the outlook? Well, I, I'd say it's a 
pretty high passing grade, maybe a, a B to B plus. I mean, they did get the season in. They got the national championship game in. Uh, but the, I think the handling of the Big Ten Conference is what knocks them down from getting an A rating, from an, an A grade for me. Uh, but I think they they got it done. They you know they crowned a national champion. Uh, we had three major conferences play uh, full schedules. Uh, when you start the season with the uncertainty like a pandemic, uh, that that's a really great thing. So I think they did a great job. Uh, I'm hoping, like you said at the top of the show. We get towards August, and maybe this uh, vaccine is kind of starting to take hold here, and we can start opening uh, some some of these games back up for fans. Because I was on a streak now of going to an Irish game every single year, in some form or another, and uh, that streak had to end this 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 past year because I couldn't get to one. So uh, I like to start a new streak this year. So hopefully, uh, things turn around the right direction here as we get towards the summer. Well, one would hope so, that's for sure. Rick Riggin, our official college football extraordinaire, we appreciate you joining us. Any final words of wisdom, sir? Where can people find you working in, in wisdom, sir? Hey, you can find me on the Twitter, at Riggin underscore Rick. On the Twitter. Well, we'll definitely follow you on the Twitter and get everything uh, everything going uh, uh, for you. All right, I appreciate so we'll it. Right Thanks for having me on today. All right, buddy, we'll talk with you soon. Rick Riggin, uh, our official college football extraordinaire, will be uh, right back here with, uh, on the balance. And standing by in the balance green room is Steve Wilson. We got some NASCAR to talk about, people. That's right. Right here on the Balance Radio Network. We'll be right back. Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. So the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. I can't believe it. I've been playing 4-on-4 with a barbershop quartet. 
bum 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 Morning face. You get is when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh my god, it talks! Right! No, it's me, Linda from HR. It looks hungry! Save the children! Save them! Stay back! I've got It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA. Love your home. Welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Markowitz, El Presidente. Thanks to Rick Riggin for uh, joining us. Uh, Rick, our official college football extraordinaire and lifelong Braves fan. And we, we're talking now uh, also with uh, Steve Wilson of SpeedwayDigest.com, our official NASCAR contributor. First of all, Steve, welcome to the 2021 season, sir. Yeah, it's just about time we... Uh... And did a little bit of Rolex testing this weekend, and you know, uh, Rolex 24 next weekend, and that means that NASCAR is right around the right around the corner. It's right around the corner with uh, the Daytona 500. It's not too far away. I know we got a lot to talk about as far as the NASCAR goes and some of the, the what the 2021 season looks like. Uh, but uh, you know, today also we're honoring Hank Aaron. Uh, what are your you're a Washington Nationals fan, I know, but what are your thoughts on the passing of Hank Aaron? Well, I think Hank, uh, you know, he he uh, <laughs> he 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 went through un unrelenting unrelenting mm-hmm. just just uh, uh, racial uh, prejudice back in the day and. Um, you know, I've I've read some stories on some of the things that he went through, and many times he had to leave these baseball stadiums under police guard and uh, the mm-hmm. threatening letters that he got over the years. And uh, you know, the closer that he got to Babe Ruth, the the more that the, these types of things just continued to happen to him. And uh, it's unfortunate that it did. And um, you know he he's a national treasure, and you know, for all the things that he did and uh, the records that he broke, and uh, I know his records were broke uh, many years later, but you know I think you know we can kind of contest the the records that were broken during kind of that steroid uh, era in baseball, and um, maybe a lot of people don't really you know consider that his record broken because of that, and I think just you know with everything that he's done uh um he is just a a, a larger than life figure in baseball yeah and, and you know we were talking about this in the last segment 
Um, I, I, will, I, will, I will preface this statement by saying I've, heard, I've read it and heard it from various sources that I believe to be legitimate. I, I have not personally confirmed this. I don't know if there's a way to do this. But I do know that what the story is, all the way up until his death, he had a hit on his head from the mafia all the way back since the day after, I mean, since he broke the Babe Ruth record. I don't know the actual validity to that. If if that's true, that's an amazing, crazy story to think that he lived that long with that being over his head, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm really honestly that Chuck Warren. Um, yeah, that, that is pretty amazing. All right, well, let's get into uh, NASCAR. A lot of a lot of team changes, a lot of information. So I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the microphone over to you and let you just kind of bring us up to speed some of the biggest, most notable changes that are happening in 2021. And um, what what can we look for? What's what's new? What's different? What's the same coming up in 2021? Well, we got a couple of new teams that are going to come off to the Cup Series this year. I think a lot of people are really excited for 23XI Racing that's being fielded this year by both Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan. Uh, they're going to put Bubba Wallace in the car running number 23 and in reference to Jordan's number in, in basketball. And um, I think a lot of people are you know, are, are just kind of surrounding, you know, that team with, uh, you know, support this year for, you know, both Hamlin and, and Jordan because, you know, that's really two high, uh, um, you know, uh, two stars and two different sports that have come together to put together a team. And, you know, while we've had, you know, Randy Moss put together truck teams in, in the past and, uh, other sports personalities from other, um, you know, sports come into NASCAR and be associated with it. I think having Michael Jordan just being in NASCAR is just really kind of, you know, taking that to the next level. So he, you've got those guys. And then um, you have um, fast lane racing that's coming up this year. They've, they've, they've been a part of, uh, or they are a part of the contingent of, BJ McLeod Racing, so they're going to be um, a little bit more involved in the Cup Series, and then you have College Racing that uh, has been in the Xfinity Series also for the last couple of years. They're they're going to run part time in 2021 with uh, Casgrove trying to attempt the 20 uh, 21 Daytona 500 for them. Um, but you know, as far as um, you know, some teams that have been there in the past, um, Brickware Racing is going to field um, the the previous uh, Daytona Five, a previous Daytona Five Hundred winner, Derek Cope, and his final attempt, um, not only in the Cup Series for but for the Daytona Five Hundred. And then you got Jamie McMurray, who's going to return back with a with a car that's being supported by his former uh, team, Chip Ganassi Racing, and um, you know Spire Motorsports. Uh, and uh, last year, I know a lot of people will, will remember that Brendan Gone ran for Beard Racing, but this year, you know, with with Gone uh, retiring at the end of last year. Uh, they've tapped Noah Gregson, uh, Xfinity driver for Junior Motorsports, to come over and attempt the Daytona 500. So we've got uh, we've got a lot of not only new teams, but we've got a lot of teams that you know, are going to attempt the Daytona 500, and uh, it's going to be a pretty pretty stacked field this year. You know, with everything that uh, 
new teams coming in. Uh, oh, and then we also got uh, Austin Sendrick, uh, who's going to make an attempt uh, for P- Penske Racing on their on their side. Yeah, absolutely. You, you mentioned Bubba Wallace in, in, in that whole story with Michael Jordan and, and Denny Hamlin. What what's that look like as a team and as it's, as it's coming uh, together? And what, what do you think, what kind of impact is that going to have on Denny Hamlin as far as his, his actual driving on on the on the, the, the race series as far as his team goes? I mean, it seems to me like being a team owner and a driver is one thing, but being a team owner and a driver of two different uh, groups, if you will, two different teams, uh, is another. Well, I mean, this is an effort that's being supported by Jugitz Racing in general, so they're they're going to be getting cars and technology and engines and things like that from them. So, and then you've got you know Michael Jordan and. Uh, uh, you know, his team that's also being a uh, part of this. So uh, between Hamlin, Gordon, I mean, Hamlin, Jordan, and, and Joe Gibbs Racing, I mean, they're, they're putting together a team over there, 23XI Racing, that's going to be able to support the team for the year. And I think we all kind of have to be a little bit realistic in this thing. And I'm going to use a baseball analogy in this one. Don't don't expect 23XI Racing this year to to jump in and the first, you know, at bat, hit a grand slam and knock it out of the park. Uh, you know, this is a new team, regardless of the fact that they're getting technology from Joe Goods Racing, regardless of the fact that Denny Hamlin is part of the effort there uh, and his extensive knowledge in racing. Uh, every new team that comes into NASCAR struggles, and, and there's a learning phase that comes into this, regardless of who it is. Uh, you know, they they're they're getting some of the best technology in the world. They're getting some of the best cars. They're getting some of the best engines in the world. And they're hiring some of the best people in the world. But, you know, regardless of that fact, every new team, no matter how good they are, even Henry Motorsports didn't start start day one like they are today. So, or And same way with uh, Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, they, they didn't start out winning races on day one. So I think, I think people have to be a little bit realistic in the fact of this. Um, regardless of the fact of name dropping and who's been involved or where they're getting cars and technology from, um, there there is that learning phase. And I think people need to kind of be a little bit realistic and say, okay, this team is going to have some learning curves that they're going to have to go through. They're a brand new team. Uh, they're just like everybody else. Uh, NASCAR isn't just going to say, okay, well, you're a new team and you have some name drops. We're, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, stack the field in your favor. You know, that's just not going to happen. Um, you know, so I think Bubba and Jordan and Hamlin and everybody over there uh, will work through these issues. And, you know, maybe the, this year they, they pull out some uh, decent finishes and, you know, they, they sit back and wait for the next-gen race car and they improve upon those finishes from this year. Talking with Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of SpeedwayDigest.com, our official NASCAR contributor. We are officially here on the show beginning our 2021 NASCAR season. Uh, you know, we talked in the last segment about this very same thing as it regards to college football. But what are? how do you think that NASCAR handled – I thought they handled it very well. Actually, in, in, in all reality, I think NASCAR handled the pandemic and, the, and COVID – 
remarkably well. And one, a lot of people might say they were the first of sports to come back to allow uh, fans to come in, or at least they were the, the first to say, hey, we're going to keep moving forward. What, what, first of all, what grade do you put on NASCAR uh, for 2020 and how they handled p- the pandemic season? And we, we look at this is probably going to pass. We know it's going to pass. And no matter who's in the Oval Office, it gets no credit. It's it's science. It's it's the ability to to make things happen. But do you do you feel optimistic? Certainly, we 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 wouldn't expect this to happen for the Daytona 500. But do you feel optimistic as we get into spring and into summer uh, that we're going to be able to see a, more of a regular attendance, if not normal attendance, to NASCAR races? Well, you know, I give a lot of credit to NASCAR and what they did and their protocols that they came through with and developed to get the cars back on the racetrack. Um, we have very few transmissions into that, and, and, you know, we have a lot of people that are moving around on a weekly basis from track to track or shop to shop or whatever the case may be. Uh, so they they did an incredible job with the way that they sealed off the infield, their testing policies, and uh, you know their protocol policies that they brought in to uh, get get cars back on the racetrack. Um, I, I I you know they it was a little bit it was a little bit you know touch and go there at the beginning. There was a lot of learning, and you know I have to you know I have to, to look that overlook that just because. You know, this is something brand new. This was something that nobody expected, and they had to put this together in a matter of weeks. And you know, this just kind of got dropped on everybody. So, you know, they they there was touch, there were some touch and go things. They learned a lot from the, their protocols, and uh, I think they they started by by the end of the season, they really had this thing down to a well-oiled machine. As far as where we. Uh, you know, go from here in NASCAR. Daytona is going to allow about uh, about somewhere around 35 to 40 percent capacity in in the grandstands for the Daytona 500. Uh, there are no more tickets available because people who had bought tickets, uh, you know, uh, with the prospect of coming to the Daytona 500, were moved for social distancing reasons, and they cut off all. And by the time they got there, everybody that had bought, bought tickets. And there are some people that did not get to come just because of, you know, they, they hit their limit. So, um, you know, we're going to get about 35, 40% of people in the grandstands. There's going to be nobody in the infield just like normal, or like, like last year or at the end of last year since COVID. Uh, and, you know, NASCAR is going to continue with these policies, at least into the immediate term, as to both how many people that they allow into the track, um, their testing policies are both on pit road and, uh, you know, with our teams and drivers and things like that. Uh, same way with media and everybody else. Um, the policies are going to continue to stay into effect for right now. And, you know, as as they did last year, they'll continue to monitor the situation and make adjustments as they need to. Um, overall, where when, when we get to go and have, you know, more people or more access to the track, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a scientist. You know, I can listen to TV and read articles and say with the vaccine and, you know, maybe in three or four months, maybe it's a year. Who knows? I mean, we I mean, it. we want to be optimistic and say, okay, this year, hopefully we can start getting back to some more normalcy. But, you know, realistically, can that happen? Who knows? I think there's a lot of struggles and a lot of things that need to happen and be put into place. 
And, you know, there are still states that are still shut down. That's why NASCAR has moved the California race over to Daytona the week after the Daytona 500 because they just can't – there's no way to operate in those conditions. Um, Whether we get to August and in in places like New York, um, they say, okay, you you can come or you can't come just like last year. There's still many lockdowns going on there. Um, and, and, and it's not just there. I mean, these, these are two prominent states that are locked down pretty hard, and, you know, NASCAR operates in both these states, and, you know, they, they've already moved one of the races, and uh, how long do they wait to see whether New York opens and say, okay, we're going to run Watkins Glen and, I don't know, pick a place somewhere. We're talking with Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor. We're bringing back NASCAR from the 2021 season that, that's still hard to roll off uh, off the tongue, if you will. Now, we got some big reports coming out also as far as the 2021 season in NASCAR and NBC Sports Network. According to both Wall Street Journal and the business, uh, Sports Business Journal, uh, NBC Sports Network will come to, the, to an end at, by the end of the year here uh, in 2021. Uh, certainly representing a, a huge shift in television rights agreement for NASCAR and, and IndyCar. NBC Sports executive producer Sam Flood has called his network America's home for motorsports. Uh, back in 1995 when it premiered, it was the Outdoor Life Network, and then it was rebanded as Versus in 2006. Uh, but it has also been the home uh, of a lot of syndicated uh, car culture and automotive programming to include IndyCar, NASCAR, Proving Grounds, Caffeine and Octane, uh, and just a, a lot of other uh, motorsports-related programming. How big of, a, 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 of an effect, if you will, and the ripple effect does the closing of NBC Sports Network represent in 2021? Well, I think it's a, it's a net positive because we've heard over the years that you know, there's so many people that still don't even have access to the channel. I think there's 79 million people or households or something like that that have access to ND Sports SN. But, you know, as we continue to to go to uh, cloud or uh, streaming services, uh, on-demand TV streaming services, as people continue to cut the core from traditional cable and satellite, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of these companies aren't exactly, you know, um, but, you know, paying for these high-value channels such as, like, NBC Sports Network, um, you know, because, you know, the production costs in that, they, they just don't feel that offering that as part of their subscriptions is, you know, uh, beneficial to their customers as they continue to try and keep costs down for their customers on the other end. So, you know, for, you know, I know that there's uh, some talk that these races will, you know, some of them will be moved to other networks, including the USA Network, which I think there's a lot more people that have access to this. But, you know, NASCAR fans continue to say that, you know, if you if you want more people to watch your races, you need to be putting this stuff, you know, on channels that people have access to, and that's the national channels that, you know, you can get both through you know, streaming services, streaming services, I can't talk today, <laughs> satellite <laughs> cable, and, and and even the old traditional route of the year sitting on the top of, you know, your your uh, television set. Um, and, and a lot of fans have complained about that, that they've just walked away from trying to watch watch it because, you know, a majority of these uh, uh, races are being put on channels they don't have access to. And, and I think in fairness, there, there's a lot to that. And, 
you know, back back in many years ago, you know, you you knew you could turn on ABC or CBS or NBC or whatever the uh, whoever had the uh, 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 you know contract at the time, and you knew a majority of the races you could watch on those channels, and it's just not true anymore. And I know there's a diversity now, and streaming and satellite and cable and cloud and video uh, video on demand services that you know give you the options and access to these channels, but you know, people people are also trying to cut costs at the same time, and you know, some people just don't see the value in buying packages so that they can only watch, you know, like NBC Sports Network that may come in a higher package in in, in some of these services. Yeah, and I, I've been a, a big proponent. I never understood why networks, and now it's it, you know, the the chickens come home to roost, if, as they say, because people just aren't paying that kind of money especially in, in the cord-cutting world that we have. And, you know, I'm a cord-cutter. I, you know, I don't, pay for, I don't pay for cable anymore. I have my own streaming uh, ways to watch shows. And I, I personally use Hulu, but there's a lot of other ones that you can use where you can watch live TV and get uh, access to all of the networks. And so I, I, I think that it is time uh, that uh, these networks start making some – and I, I wonder, though – because maybe it's just us because we're such good uh, big uh, race fans, but I just wonder why, for the most part, they can't run run it on regular NBC programming. And, and you mentioned USA Network. That's obviously owned by NBC. So NBC's still going to have the, the their hand on the pulse in the racing, but I just wonder why can't they just run it on their normal NBC network? Because when you look at what they're running in, in – alternative uh, things that white races are running, nothing against golf, but I, I wonder, unless you're a, a, a master's fan, and people might say, well, unless you're, you know, just a Daytona 500 or whatever, you know, how, how many of us sit around and watch golf uh, significantly? I, I don't know what that is, but I also know, that I would think, and, and again, nothing against soccer. I like soccer. I've learned to, to like it over the years, but NBC on their main network is running soccer, why on a secondary network is running NASCAR. Is soccer that big, much bigger of a, of a fan audience? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe the, the price point and what they're making off of advertising dollars is different, but it just seems like, it just seems like that there, there could be room to run some of these uh, races on some of their major networks. Well, we're just a few days away from the Rolex 24 out of Daytona as well. Uh, and uh, I say every year that I'm going to try to watch it. I never do, so I won't even cl- try to claim it. But as we look at the IMSA Rolex 24 in Daytona season opener in just a, a few short days, uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, what what can we look for? And, and what are some of the storylines around the Rolex 24? Well, I think a lot of people are really – <clears throat> Excuse me. I think a lot of people are really taking in and looking looking at the fact that um, you know Jimmy Johnson is going to finally run this thing this year in the Rolex 24. Um, there, there's been a not only that, but they also have Jack Nows, uh back on the uh, back on the back as crew chief for him. So they're matching those two up, and uh, that that's really that's really been something a lot of people have. Uh, uh, you know, have 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 really enjoyed the fact that they're kind of pairing those two back up again. 
And, and not just that, but the 2020 NASCAR Cup Series champion, Chase Elliott, is also going to be part of this effort. So they, they're going to be uh, two high-profile NASCAR drivers that are going to take uh, to the Rolex this year. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've been one that I've, I, I've said multiple times, hey, I'm, I'm going to go, go down and I'm going to uh, watch this thing in person, but I've never had the opportunity to do so, and hopefully one year I will. I, I try and watch some of it here and there. Uh, 24 hours is a long time to sit and watch a race. I really enjoy watching them at nighttime. I think it's really neat watching the race at nighttime. I'll just kind of be a little bit sad, the fact that um, the carnival atmosphere won't be there this year because yeah, that kind of adds a little extra good. touch. That'll be something very, very different, that's for sure. Talking with Steve Wilson, Editor-in-Chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. We're bringing (coughs) – excuse me, I'm dying here. We (coughs) are bringing back our uh, NASCAR season for 2021. We're certainly optimistic that we're going to have a back-to-normal time sometime, maybe mid-season, we hope. Uh, So certainly not to rush things, but hopefully things start – getting back to normal soon, and we get past all of the stuff that we've had to deal with with COVID and, and the lockdowns and all of that. Real quickly, uh, before I let you go here, Kurt Busch, are, are we seeing basically the twilight of his career? Are we, I mean, are we looking at an opportunity, uh, or maybe not opportunity is not the right word, but are we looking at this is going to be a final year or a close to the final year for Kurt Busch? Well, Kurt is in his 40s. Um, he's, uh, you know, he he's sure that he can still win. He can still compete. That's for sure. He's, you know, he's he's, you know, just he won at Bristol two years ago in uh, 2019. Uh, so, uh, you know, I or sorry, 2018. <laughs> Thank you. Still 2020 here. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, uh, yes, I think you were getting to the point that Kurt Busch is probably going to start winding this thing down at some point. We saw him in the uh, the booth uh, doing some calls. I think he did some. He did really well in the booth uh, calling these races uh, for uh, for NASCAR, for in the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series and things like that. So uh, I know this year Clint Boyer has moved over into the booth and. I don't know if, you know, Kurt's interested in, you know, going up there full-time and, you know, doing that thing full-time or what his plans are, but, you know, I think maybe he's exploring some of those options, and I think he did a good job up there in the booth um, calling some of these some of these events. So um, uh, going forward, uh, how long he lasts uh, at Ganassi Racing or in NASCAR in general, um, I, I I, I do think, yes, I think you're right in the fact that we are seeing the closing days of his career. It's just, you know, a matter of when he'll make that announcement. I don't think we'll see that this year, but, yes, I, I think that we are coming upon that, you know, ending of Kurt Busch's career in NASCAR at some point. Steve Wilson, Editor-in-Chief of Speedway Digest. Steve, we appreciate you jumping on board with us today. And, and talking with us from NASCAR, also a little bit of Hank Aaron with us. Uh, where can people find your work in Masterpieces, and what are you working on here going into 2021? 
Well, everybody that's over here is uh, starting to gear up and starting to work on some storylines for the 2021 season, especially as we're less than three weeks away from the Daytona 500. Um, we're three weeks away, not even three weeks away from Trucks and Xfinity Series uh, kicking off their season. So uh, a lot going on, getting ready to gear up. And anybody can follow up at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Speedway Digest and SpeedwayDigest.com. Steve, we greatly appreciate it. You had yourself a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Take care. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, joins us today to help us bring back the 2020, bring back or bring into the 2021 NASCAR season. My name is Tom Mark LaSalle, President Day, 917-889-8516 is our digits. And coming up around the bend is Tony Donahue at the Tony G Podcast. Going to be talking some college basketball. And we're going to be putting on our homework card here in Indianapolis right here on the Balance Radio Network. Hi, this is a good one. Kind of groove to me. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. Okay, okay. I can't believe it. I've been playing four on four with a barber sharp quartet. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, What is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA Sultan mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Hey, 
Welcome back to the Balance Williams. I'm Mark Wassell, President Day. One hour in the book. Thank you to Rick Riggin, our college football extraordinaire, uh, talking with us a little bit also about Hank Aaron and co- uh, some college football stuff, uh, expectations for the 2021 season. Uh, and then uh, we, we bring in back our, our NASCAR talk. Uh, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, we talked a little bit about what's going on and what could be expected in NASCAR in 2021. Joining us now is Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast. Tony, how are you, sir? Hey, Tom, what's going on, man? Hey, fantastic. We're going to be talking. I'm going to have you put on the homework card with us here in just a minute, but we just kind of brought back our, our NASCAR talk. Any any uh, thoughts that you have going into 2021 and what you're looking for in NASCAR? I'll ask you the same question I asked Steve. What kind of grade do you put NASCAR on? I, I, I think in a lot of ways NASCAR really kind of led the charge on bringing sports back and it's certainly allowing the events to happen uh, in spite of it all. Do we Are we optimistic that we're going to have a, a full season of NASCAR by, by the time we get into the summer times, that maybe by the time it gets around to the Brickyard? Yeah, I mean, I think that they did a great job in being flexible in their schedule last year. We got to see some – some Wednesday night races. We got to see um, some some mid afternoon races during the week. They kind of, you know, maybe experimented a little bit and, and and struck when there was no other live sports going on. You know, you had NASCAR. You know, I think a Wednesday night race they had. They had a Thursday night race, and you know, they brought some more popularity to their sport. I think they should have no problem getting through this season. Um, you know. Maybe some of the California races get moved around and, and get pushed in, in some of those states that, you know, the COVID is a little bit more at a high risk. But they did a great job of, of, of kind of condensing what they had last year to get caught up. They were caught up on their schedule by Labor Day. And, you know, I don't think they're going to have any problems this year. I think I think it's going to be cool to watch um, Daytona this year because you've got, you know, the Bush Clash on Tuesday night on the road course. Then Wednesday night qualifying, Thursday night the uh, the dual races. Friday you've got the trucks, so you've got you'll have six straight days of racing um, down at Daytona, and then they stay there for the following weekend, the second race of the year with the road course race. So I'm excited, looking forward to it. It'll be fun to see what Bubba Wallace can do with the new ride that supposedly should be good enough to have him run up front. Um, you know, Denny Hamlin's looking for that championship. He's won. He won the Daytona 500 last year. Uh, it should be a really good season. We'll see what Kyle Larson can do with Hendrick and if he can bounce back in his career. Um, I'm excited, looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun. And uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to see, you know, Brickyard on the road course this year. That'll be that'll be fun. That'll be a little crazy, but um, yeah, we should we should be able to see a full NASCAR schedule. And I'm looking forward to it. I hope so, and I hope that we can actually go to the races uh, uh, this year. <laughs> Excuse me, <laughs> I'm dying here. Uh, so, uh, Tony Donahue, let's put on the Hummer card. Uh, since we're both here in Indianapolis area. Obviously, the biggest news uh, coming out of Indianapolis is Philip Rivers retired. Really not a big surprise, but I guess one of the biggest questions that we have as coach said, where do we go? Do we look at Carson Wentz? That's not really a home, home, or, uh, a home run hit. It's an option. Do we look at Matt Stafford? I mean, it's an option. Uh, I mean, do we look at uh, – there's a lot of options out there but to me let's go back to where we were before we had Peyton Manning I know I hate to be that guy that compares everything to Peyton Manning but let's go before that we before Peyton Manning we had options then they decided to draft 
Peyton Manning. We struggled at the beginning, as every rookie does, but we had Peyton Manning. And I think that's one of the biggest, next to John Namath, I would say that legacy-wise, for the Colts, Peyton Manning is the legacy of the Colts. Should the Colts not go to that option and look at what's out there in the draft? Maybe there's nothing there in the draft. Where do they go from here? Well, first and foremost, to the Phillip Rivers uh, situation, I look at it like this. It, it took a week for him to decide that he wanted to hang it up. And he obviously wants to go coach high school football. He's got like 14 kids to spend some time with. So I get it. But from a Colts fan, you know, I kind of I kind of posed this question in my podcast. Like, are you upset by this? Because if you think about Phillip Rivers from a Colts fan standpoint, you think about Phillip Rivers' career. He beat you so many times in the playoffs in the late – 2000s and you know the early 2010s and then he comes here for one year and gets you to the playoffs barely barely loses to the Bills so basically Phillip Rivers has knocked you out of the playoffs every opportunity that he has pretty much gotten in his career so um, that was kind of a devil's advocate type thing you know I overall I was I was happy with the season I was happy with his play this year um, where do they go next I'm on the Matt Stafford train. I'm going to ride that thing all the way to downtown Indianapolis and through the front door of Lucas Oil Stadium. Give me Matt Stafford. Give me somebody that can excel in this offense, has a defense around him, and can have some weapons. Could you imagine Michael Pittman and Matt Stafford? Pittman almost reminds you of the build of Calvin Johnson. And we all know that Calvin Johnson had one hell of a career with Matt Stafford as his quarterback there towards the end of it. I'm on with Matt Stafford. I don't think Wentz is an option. I think Jamison Winston is going to stay in New Orleans. I don't want Matt Ryan. Mitch Trubisky is probably going to end up staying in Chicago. Deshaun Watson is going to stay in Houston because they'll just owe way too much money if he walks. I think your best option is Matt Stafford. And then you have Jacob Eason, who's already sitting there behind him, to maybe develop, get some playing time, get some snaps in the preseason, and see what Jacob Eason can do. The problem for Jacob Eason was we just simply never got a chance to see what he could do last year because you didn't have any preseason, and the pay, the Colts needed every game that they played uh, to go their way. You know, I, I, I like Matt Stafford. Don't get me wrong, and I know he's a fan favorite. Uh, and, and we'll have Ed on here in just a little bit, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia and SI.com. But and he wrote in an article this past week, not just with the Colts, but just the quarterback changes and, and where they move. And he basically said that the Colts have less than a 5% chance of acquiring Matt Stafford. So as a fan, we might like Matt Stafford, but that's not going to maybe be the reality. And, and not that he's a Car- – Carson Wentz probably will stay right where he's at, especially now with the removal of Doug Peterson. And we'll certainly get deeper into that conversation. I guess my question is, what do we got that's better? What's what's a better option? Matt Stafford, maybe. But I, I know we've been down this train before. But to me, as a fan, Jacoby Percet proved a lot on the field. He's still a backup quarterback, don't get me wrong. But I also think that we do, you made a very valid point and, 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 and knocked it out of the park when you said we haven't got a chance to see Jacob Easton. Why is he sitting there? Why are we paying him? Why are we not giving him the time? I think we should we should just keep what we have. For the moment, let's, let's, in the preseason, let's get Jacob Easton out there, get him started, and let's make Jacoby, again, with, I know he he's the best uh, – uh, cheerleader for the Colts because they pay him a lot of money to be a cheerleader for the Colts on the sidelines. 
and maybe he knows that this isn't going to be anything permanent, but he proved to me that he did a great job in third and one. And, and those option plays and those trick plays where they brought in the QB2, which you very rarely see, there's part of me that just says, let's just keep what we got or maybe look what's going on in, in the uh, in the draft. Do we really want to go out there and try to find and salvage and bring back to life a free agent? Not that Matthew Stafford is – not that anything that you said about Matthew Stafford is wrong because it is. And he's a, he's a, he's a, a fan favorite. I mean, I think a lot of Colts fans, myself included, would love to see him in, in a Colts jersey. But I'm just wondering, again, going back to what Ed said, there's a less than 5% chance that we'll get Matt Stafford. I think it's a little bit more than that. Uh, to be honest with you, I think that it's, it is going to take a lot for them to get him. Uh, it's going to be via a trade. You're going to probably have to give up some picks. Um, but the reason why I say it's a little bit more than 5% is because Jim Irsay wants to win right now. Jim Irsay has got a team right now with young weapons. You Maybe, maybe you re-sign T.Y. Hilton for cheap. Jacoby Brissett will never put on a Colts helmet again. I can almost guarantee you that. Um, you know, he got his money. Great. See you later. If 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 he were to come back, it would only be because, you know, hey, you're going to be the backup here. And we're going to pay you like $2 million, which I think he's going to go try to get – try to go back to New England, maybe get a chance to start there. Um, you said a lot, so I don't remember all exactly what you said. But I, I think Jacoby's definitely not going to come back. I don't think the Colts have any interest in that. But Jim Mercy wants to win right now. So going through the draft and going through that two- to three-year process, you know, it, it, it's hard to draft a quarterback unless you trade up, which if you look at the Texans, the Ravens, the Bills, and the Chiefs, they all have their franchise quarterbacks because they moved up in the draft. I'm not sure there's a franchise quarterback ready to take over the reins in this draft that you could trade up to get. I mean, yeah, Fields is going to be up there, but he's going to be long gone off the board. Um, you know, in Ohio State, honestly, I hate to say this, hasn't had um, that good of a track record of NFL quarterbacks lately. Uh, we learned that with Dwayne Haskins. And, I mean, you, 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 who are you tra- you're not going to get Trevor Lawrence. He's going to end up in either the Jaguars or the Jets. So, I think you gotta go get a, you got to go get somebody. And I think Matt Stafford would just flourish in this offense for the next – he could give you two to four years. And – that's your window right now, Tommy, is Darius Leonard's going to need to get paid. Uh, Michael Pittman's still young. Marlon Mack, Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, all these guys are on really good contracts, really cheap contracts. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, is, is Paris Campbell still alive? We haven't heard from him in a long time. But I thought Zach Pascal had a serviceable year. Um, you still got really good tight ends on the cheap. So, um, you know, if you can get a defensive pass rusher and you got to get a new – you got to get somebody else on that offensive line. Now that Costanza's gone, I just think that this team is ready to is ready to win right now. And that window to win and make it to the Super Bowl is in the next two years because the Chiefs aren't going anywhere, the Bills aren't going anywhere, the Browns aren't going anywhere, and the Ravens aren't going anywhere. So I think Jim Mercy sees that and wants the guy in here now that has experience that can get this team to the next level deeper in the playoffs. So he's going to go out and get somebody that he knows can can win football games, and he's not going to hand it over to some rookie that he's never seen. Talking with Tony Donna here for the Tony G Podcast. I want to get into some college hoops, but I also want to talk about the, the, the Super Bowl. 
Tom Brady, one game away from going to yet another Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers in an MVP career. Uh, the Bills in a historic uh, season this year have an opportunity to go. Uh, the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes have an opportunity to go back to the Super Bowl yet again. I don't think no matter what, how we, we shake and bake this, we're going to have a good Super Bowl and a historic Super Bowl. But let's go back to the, the game that's tomorrow, the Buccaneers and the Packers. Either one of those quarterbacks going to the Super Bowl is monumental. But for Tom Brady in season one at Tampa Bay, I mean, we're just going to all but make him uh, the, the, uh, the other son of God other than Jesus Christ with, with the Buccaneers and, 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 uh, and Tom Brady. If he goes to another Super Bowl, and believe me, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Colts fan, so believe me, I, I don't have a lot of love for Tom Brady. But I also got to admire the man's career. You know, what I've learned this year is that I don't hate Tom Brady as much when he has a different uniform on that doesn't say the New England Patriots. True. True. Wouldn't it be crazy if the only home playoff game that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got was in the Super Bowl? And leave it to Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, to be the first player to the Super Bowl in their home stadium. So there's all those layers and aspects of it, right? So once you get past, okay, Tom Brady, great, it's all good. Um, Aaron Rodgers is having the best season of his career. He's finally got a defense behind him. He's got weapons, Devontae Adams. He looks like he's having so much fun. I don't know if that's because he's not dating Danica anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't you know, that's not my business. But he is having so much fun playing the game. Robert Tanyan from Indiana State is having the heck of a season. I think this NFC Championship game is it's going to go one of two ways. It's going to be really close down to the wire, or Green Bay is going to pull away because we have seen Tampa Bay kind of struggle this year. And you know that you know that um, Aaron Rodgers wants to avenge that loss from earlier on in the season down in Tampa Bay. On the flip side of that, the Bills are for real. Um, that defense, that attack that they have, I love Josh Allen. I just don't think that they're up to the task unless unless something happens again with Patrick Mahomes and he's not quite right or he's knocked out of the game. Um, so. I think it's going to be that State Farm Super Bowl that you and I have been talking about for the last couple of weeks. I think we're going to see the Chiefs take on the Packers, and and I'm looking forward to the next, the final three NFL games that we see because they are all, I think, going to be extremely entertaining football games, and we should have one hell of a Super Bowl. Is Patrick Mahomes the next Tom Brady? To say this, and this is probably a cop-out, and this is um, probably what everybody's going to tell you, but one, it's can he stay healthy, which so far throughout his career, you know, banged up last week. But what mobile quarterbacks on the run like that, they just they they expose their body so much, they expose their body to those hits that could could potentially knock them out. Um, I don't think he's the next Tom Brady, but I think that he is the he he can go down as the greatest scrambling, you know out-of-the-pocket type quarterback. I think Tom Brady will always in our lifetime be the best in-the-pocket quarterback. But I think Patrick Mahomes is is certainly special. We're talking with Tony Donahue at the Tony D Podcast. Tony, let's get into some uh, college juice. We're going to talk to Homer Card with IU. Got a lot to talk about with them and Archie Miller. But before we get to that, we know that March Madness is going to be held in its full capacity in the more of a bubble circumstances here in Indianapolis. You called that. Uh, you must be on the committee to make the decisions for that, and they listen to you, sir. You some people and had discussions about things, 
that's for sure. I would love to. But um, the way I look at it is like, look, this is going to be great. It's going to be great for the city if they allow the city of Indianapolis to either host a certain amount of fans or you expand the bar situation. Like, Hey, it's cool. The tournament's going on and it's cool that it's here in Indy, but if I can't go out and hang out with my friends because of COVID restrictions, then, you know, it's going to take away from possibly these bars downtown and these restaurants having, having more life. So, um, but I'm looking forward to it. I, I hope to be able to go to some games. I think I'm going to volunteer downtown. Um, to be a part of it. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, it's, it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. Well, let's uh, uh, put the Homer uh, hat back on going into some college hoops and continuing this conversation about college uh, basketball. IU Indiana is a uh, basketball state. I mean, it is, it clearly has been. And and the, what we've seen and what has seemed to be is a reversal and the notoriety of our, of the two teams between football and basketball Archie Miller, at best, is a mediocre coach for IU, and we want and we want to say, oh, we got to give him a chance. We we want to keep going back to the Bobby Knight days. I'm not going back to the Bobby Knight days. I'm just looking at what we're seeing here, and Archie Miller's got to his seat's got to start feeling a little bit warm, and I I just I don't know what's left for him, even though he's, he's getting recruits, he's getting you know top recruits. I used to seem to be, you know, uh, on the struggle bus, and you know, we, we've just we've just seen a lot of different games where IU could have been in it, should have been in it, wasn't in it. What what yeah. is, what are your thoughts about IU basketball 2021? And you know, in a lot of ways, they struggled against Iowa, even though they won that game. Got Rutgers tomorrow. But they couldn't pull that game off against Purdue. I guess that's what keeps dragging me away. They can't seem to figure out a way to beat Purdue with Archie Miller. Um, you know, to your first question, like how do I feel about IU? I don't know how to feel about IU because, like you said, you you're nine and six, and you're like, okay, on the surface, that that that's not bad considering, but. You know, you you beat. If I were to say Tom, they're nine and six. They just went on the road to beat the number four team in the country by twelve points. Well, I think that that win over Iowa was more so the fact that Iowa just could not hit a shot the last ten minutes of the game. People won't remember that Iowa was up by eight points and then went what ten minutes without a field goal. They were missing layups. Luke Garza hit a couple free throws. That was about it. Bohannon couldn't hit the ocean from a boat. Um, but you look at IU, you had an opportunity at Wisconsin, you go to double overtime, you lose that game. What IU has done well, I guess, if you want to look at it, is they've beaten the teams mostly that they should have beaten. You beat Butler, we know that, last month. You lose to Northwestern, okay, I can live with that. Northwestern's an okay team. Um, but, you know, you took, care at, you took care of Penn State at home. And then this month alone, you took care of Maryland, you took Wisconsin to the brink, you took care of Nebraska. Everybody that they've lost to, Purdue, Wisconsin, um, and I guess in, in Illinois, are teams that they should have lost to. You know, are teams that are ranked in the top 25 that are safely into the tournament. And to look forward for this basketball team, you got to beat Rutgers. That's, 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 that's easy. You're not going to go to Michigan and beat Michigan. Michigan is so good right now. They're one of the best teams in the country. I think they're the best team in the Big Ten. But February is where 
time we're going to really learn about IU. You get Illinois at home. You get Iowa at home. You get Minnesota at home. In between there, you got to go to the road to get Ohio State and Northwestern. As of right now, five games against ranked opponents, five of their eight games against ranked opponents. If they can go three and two, hell, if they can go two and three and keep their and keep it above five hundred, they're going to have a chance to uh, possibly get a good seed in the Big Ten tournament. Now I'll say this, Tom: if they host an NIT game, where is that going to be played at? Because Assembly Hall is going to be used for the NCAA tournament. Just kidding. I don't think there's any NIT this year. Well, absolutely. And let me ask you this, though. Does R.C. Miller continue to coach IU if they go to the NIT or less? Do they have to get into the Sweet 16? I guess that would be the better way to to form that question. I think Sweet 16, um, you're good. But from what I've seen on Twitter and what I've seen these Indiana fans, dude, it – I wouldn't be surprised, but his buyout, his buyout is going to be so huge just because his contract is so massive and for so long. I mean, they signed this dude, if I'm not mistaken, like Jeff Brom style for like the next seven to eight years. So um, uh-huh. I think that it's a, he's under a seven-year deal worth $24 million, and I think he's in year, year four of that, year four right now. So um, – he might be back in the Atlantic 10 before we know it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of the games on tap today. we got Kansas and Oklahoma coming up here in just about an hour and a half or so. Uh, number nine, Kansas against Oklahoma. What are your thoughts on that game? Yeah, Kansas is a team that is good, but they're so raw. Like, their talent is so raw. Bill Self um, has, has got, them, got them playing okay. You know, you really learn how much home home court advantage is in college basketball, and is at at you know Fog Allen Fieldhouse where Kansas plays because we saw them lose by like 25 points at Texas, and that would never happen if there were fans in there. Oklahoma's a good team, so Kansas will have their their hands full coming up at noon today. I think Kansas gets it done, but this is a game that's going to go right down to the wire. Oklahoma's a really respectable team that's probably right now on that nine to ten line in the NCAA tournament, maybe an eight seed if they can if they can win some games. But um, Oklahoma's been hot, and they played Kansas very well two weeks ago at Kansas. But I think Kansas will have the slight advantage, and they'll win this one down the stretch. Is there anything to talk about between this Houston and Temple matchup? I love Houston. Uh, you know, Quentin Grimes is a guy that's going to be a, you know, a top five pick, maybe top ten pick. Um, they rebound. They're physical. They play well. And they have been blowing teams out in the first half, Tom, as of late. Um, they did it to SMU. They did it to Tulane. They did it to UCF. They did it to Tulsa last week. Houston is hot right now. Um, I have them as a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. I thought they were very well-suited to make a Final Four run last year. They are athletic. They are long. If you're looking for a team that maybe you haven't seen much of that plays really good basketball, um, I think Houston is, is a team to watch today, and I don't think they'll have any, any problems covering that 11 points and rolling Temple today. You know, you talk about putting some money on underdogs. We might be able to make a little bit of money if it happens. A lot of people are saying if you're going to pick that underdog game this week, it is the Baylor-Oklahoma State game, and that Oklahoma State at home can win against Baylor. You know, I had, was it last Saturday, I took Baylor to lose, I believe it was to Texas Tech, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, Baylor's a great team. And, you know, Scott Drew, obviously, with his Indiana ties, you know, you kind of you kind of like them. Oklahoma State is a really good team. I would definitely take them to cover the nine points, but I think Baylor gets it done and gets a victory. Talking with Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast, talking some college basketball. Let's go ahead and jump into the Big Ten. I think certainly the game to watch today is Ohio State at Wisconsin. Uh, 15, Ohio State, number 10, Wisconsin. This is going to be a good game. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, you look at the schedule today, CBS has some really, really good basketball games throughout the day. Um, Ohio State is tough. You know, they are tough because they rebound, they get physical, and they finish at the rim. Um, Wisconsin is a team that is going to want to, you know, slow the temple down. They've given up, um, I think, an av- the last two games, an average of 52, 52 points, somewhere in that range. Wisconsin is a good team. I think this is going to come down to the wire again. It will be a really good game. I like the under in this, 134 points. I think it's going to be somewhere in the range of 65-60 Wisconsin. If you were to stay up late tonight at 10 o'clock, would you binge on Schitt's Creek or watch the Pacific Gonzaga game? Um, that's a great question. Um, I've really been into the <laughs> show that I watch called In the Dark. It's on Netflix, so if you're looking for a show recommendation. Okay. Uh, uh, check out in the dark. It's 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 intriguing. It's entertaining. It's exciting. Um, so you're talking to the to the late night college basketball junkie. I'm done betting the Pac-12. I don't know what's going on in the Pac-12, but I do know Tom. They're not the college. They're not the conference of champions. Um, but I can see myself tonight flipping back and forth between Gonzaga and Pacific and BYU and Pepperdine. BYU is a really good team. Um, they're lengthy. They're tall. Outside of the blemish where they got slapped by Gonzaga, this is a really, really good basketball team. So um, BYU plays well. They've got, I think, three or four guys that average in, in double figures, um, and that's led by one of, one of their top guys in Alex Barcelo, who may not make the NBA because he's a bit undersized, but Barcelo could have a nice career overseas. So I do like me some BYU basketball. I'll give you that. <laughs> Tony Dalton here on the Tony G Podcast. Uh, joins us and talking some college basketball, NFL, Phillip Rivers. Tony, what are you what are you working on? Where can people find your work in Masterpieces, sir? Yeah, well, like you said, we've got some racing coming up. We had that big IndyCar news with Penske this this week, so I talked about uh-huh. the signing of Simone right. Silvestro. You can check out my podcast um, on any podcast network, the Tony D Podcast, and find me on Twitter at Tony D Indy. All right, Tony, have yourself a great weekend, sir. You too, man. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Tony Donahue, the Tony D Podcast. Excellent podcast. Go check it out. We'll put it up on our our social media. Coming up, Ed Crack, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and SI.com. We're going to break down the championship as we get ready for the Super Bowl. Who's going to be in the Super Bowl? Who's not? And we're going to continue to honor the legend, Hank Aaron, right here on the Balance Radio Network.
Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. I can't believe it. I've been playing 4-on-4 with a barber sharp quartet. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, that went in my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA. Love your home. Sullivan of the Red Sox is in to face Hank Aaron of the Braves. Boom! Boom! Aaron drives a Baseball legend Hank Aaron has died. Hammer and Hank was known as the home run king, one of the best players in the history of the game. In the spring of 1974, Aaron broke Babe Ruth's all-time home run record of 714 when he hit his 715th home run. When Aaron retired in 1976, he had 755 lifetime home runs, a record that stood for over 30 years. Hammering Hank Aaron is the RBI leader of the ball. Hank Aaron follows with a scorching liner through the shortstop for a base. Hank Aaron was raised in the Jim Crow South and had to contend with racism throughout his storied career. While Babe Ruth's playing years were spent exclusively in segregated all-white leagues, Aaron began playing for a so-called Negro League team. He joined the Braves organization in 1952 and spent the majority of his baseball years there. According to the Baseball Hall of Fame, Muhammad Ali once called Hank Aaron the only man I idolize more than myself. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1982. Hank Aaron was 86.
All right, and welcome back to The Balance. We honor Hank Le- uh, Hank Aaron, certainly a true legend, as, as throughout the whole show we've talked about. We talked with Rick Riggins, lifelong uh, Braves fan, and just the impact of, 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 of the passing of, of a legend like that. we got uh, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, oh. SI.com, our official NFL contributor. Before we get into the NFL talk, I wanted to talk with you a little bit, Ed, about Hank Aaron, and I, I appreciate you joining us today, uh, first and foremost. I hope you're having a great weekend. Hank Aaron, uh, you talked with me offline uh, via text about a memory that you had with Hank Aaron. I, I'd love for you to share that with our audience. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, that was a great tribute you just played there to, to Hank, too. Um, yeah, uh, well, you know, it happened back on April 8th in 1974. I was 12 years old. And, you know, you, you can only remember so far back to your younger days when you were a kid. But I, I really remember uh, when Hank hit that home run that broke Babe Ruth's record. It happened actually on my mom's birthday. Uh, and I, I remember her coming in and saying, you know, why are you watching baseball on my birthday? Uh, me and my father, that is. And, uh, you know, my dad gave her some reason. You know, it was a long time ago. But all, And then I remember when the home run happened. Uh, I remember my dad standing up in his chair and raising his hands over his head. And I'm, uh, you know, he had told me about what could happen during the game. You know, I'm only 12 years old. I really wasn't in tune with all the racial uh, overtones of of Hank Aaron and what he represented. Um, But, you know, I saw my dad stand up exuberant, raising his arms over his head. And I looked at him, I looked at the screen and his Hank circle on the bases. I looked back at my dad and he's got tears coming out of his eyes. And so I got up and I gave him a big hug. And he hugged me back and he was like, uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, son, we just witnessed history. Uh, he goes, this is a moment that's going to be talked about for the rest of your life. And, you know, he was right. I mean, you know, that was an iconic moment in sports history it was him circling the bases, a fan coming out to hug him. And um, it, it was only later as I got older that I learned of the death threats that he had received and this and that. But, you know, I really wasn't, like I said, plugged into all that racial uh, inequality uh, overtones to that moment. But I just remember it being, you know, really a, a, one of the more memorable moments of my childhood between me and my father. And we had others. I remember Jerry West hitting a half-court buzzer beater shot that, you know, he loved Jerry West and um, with the Lakers. And, you know, but this moment when he just said so poignantly that this is a moment that they're going to talk about for the rest of your life, he's right. Here it is 46 years later, and we're, we're talking about it. So, uh, you know, and I remember how moved my father was by the moment. It was just a great, it was just great. And, and like I said, I don't have many memories before 12 years old, uh, you know, a few, but, you know, certainly that one uh, makes me think of my father and, you know, uh, it's just, you know, real memorable right. for me. Well, you, you got to look at the, the age and the era of different things. And, you know, Hank Aaron, it, it, it's kind of a, such a positive story to hear these days with a lot of the still yet today that we're dealing with in 2021 all you got to do is turn on the news and you'll see it the the uh racial injustice that our country still continues to struggle with and even though that was a small part of history what a huge groundbreaker it was and and to be a pioneer in the for the african-american community in the baseball world and in sports world all along And, and, and as we mentioned in our our tribute, Muhammad Ali said he's the only person he ever idolized other than himself. And I thought that <laughs> was just great. really, really true. And, yeah. to, you know, 
we we probably could we, well we couldn't. There's no way we would ever. I don't I don't know how to phrase this, but to, to think that in our in our lifetime, in our history, in our life that we've been alive, uh, Ed, that we actually had a league. Well, maybe not in our lifetime, but just in our world, we actually had a league of baseball called the Negro League. That to me, just to hear that, and where we're at now, you just kind of. You're like, wow, we that really we really had that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I mean, we have come a, a, a little ways, I guess you could say. I mean, right now it certainly doesn't look like we've come very far at all, and you can kind of re- make the parallel to the NFL in this, you know, seven coaching head coaching vacancies uh, in the off season, and maybe you touched on this already, but you know, six of those have so far been filled by, you know, non minority candidates, unless you count Robert Solly of the 49ers he's a Muslim but he's not you know the you know I don't want to say traditional minority but he kind of is you know it's not the the black head coach um and now maybe the Texans will end up hiring an Eric Bieniemy uh or a you know maybe Jim Caldwell but you know only one head coach and you know are they qualified I think there's some qualified candidates out there yeah and, and uh why aren't they being hired you know only maybe one of the seven openings are going to be filled by a minority candidate Uh, maybe none Texans go in a different direction. So, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done. I mean, it's great that we don't have the Negro league or, you know, some of that stuff that took place in the sixties with, you know, uh, only whites being able to drink from this water fountain or go to the bathroom in this lavatory. I mean, you know, yeah, we've come a distance from that, but there's still a long way to go. And um, I suspect that, you know, I will, my lifetime will end and we'll still be trying to, solve these racial inequities that take takes place yeah absolutely so we're honoring uh just a true legend and that's uh hank aaron we talked with rick riggin earlier who's a, a lifelong Braves fan and just the impact and, and the braves in general have just seen uh some losses of their grades so when you see and i guess in our lifetime this is kind of like uh, losing babe ruth if you will you know, I've got a, a friend of mine who, who's from New York. He's he's uh, actually Puerto Rican, but he's from New York. Diehard Yankees fan. We were talking yesterday. He's like, Hank Aaron was great. Don't get me wrong. But he was able to be – he had to play many more games than Babe Ruth played to, to beat him. And that Babe Ruth is still one of the greatest. So we're not taking anything away from Babe Ruth. But, you know, one of the stories that I have found in just throughout different sources of things and I talked with my buddy Rich, and he kind of said, yeah, he's heard the same thing. It's unfortunate. But the mafia, actually, the 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 mafia, I don't know which family, but the mafia actually had a hit on Hank Aaron the day after he broke Babe Ruth's record. And, you know, maybe I've watched too many mafia movies, but once you get a hit put on you, it, it it's hard to stay alive. And so to, to think that he, he dealt with that all the way up until – I guess his death. What do you do? You, you think there's any validity to that? Well, yeah, there could be. Yeah, I mean, I I hadn't heard that to be honest, but uh, I, you know, uh, it's really a shame that if that's the case, that he had to kind of look over his shoulder for so many years after he did that. Um, and again, you know, I really wasn't in tune to all that stuff until it got later into the '70s and early '80s and. You know, you start learning more, you get older, and uh, it's just appalling, really, and you really feel for the guy. And I've watched that moment many times, that 
you know, that he broke Babe Ruth's record. And I, I look at it, but it kind of in a different light, you know, back when I was 12 years old, watching it with my father, it was just the sure, you know, the sheer joy of a, a great sports moment, a great uh, athletic achievement. Uh, and, and that's how I always looked at sports was just, you know, the sheer enjoyment, you never know what's going to happen. And then you start to learn more about it. And then uh, so now I watch it in a different light and I feel like, you know, gosh, for him to, you know, do what he did with, you know, the constant threat of, you know, assassination or whatever, because there were death threats made against him. And uh, even that night in that game, I think there was a death threat made that he shouldn't play in that game uh, because of what could happen. Um, so, you know, I look at it in a different light now. And, you know, we've all seen the Jackie Robinson movies, I'm sure, terrific uh, movie on Jackie Robinson, 42, and you see what he had to deal with. And, um, you know, the football movie on um, – the, the 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 express i can't remember what it's called but the the guy from syracuse the running back who ended up dying of cancer but you know going into the south and playing you know in texas you know back in you know the 60s and um you know it's just really and it's really not that far away the 60s and 70s in this area you know so uh you know it's only 40 50 years ago and that's kind of a short time i guess in the in the na- nation's history but uh i you know i just think it's it's really admirable and really puts things in a different light when you know exactly what Hank Aaron faced that night when he smashed that home run that broke Babe Ruth's record. And yeah, that's not taking anything away from Babe Ruth. I mean, you know, uh, records are made to be broken and, you know, Hank did it that night. And it was, to me, it was just a pure, sheer joy of of sports, you know, as a 12 year old son with his father, the sports was what bonded my father and me all through, you know, my teen years, reading the newspaper, the sports page together, sharing the sports page together, and then talking about what we read. And um, that was just one moment that I certainly remember, you know, that moved my father, you know, uh, to tears, you know, to see Hank Aaron do that. And then, you know, that kind of, uh, I just thought he was was happy, but who knows what he was going through. We really never talked about that moment too much afterward, but, sure. uh, yeah. you know, but we did talk about sports constantly all the time. Well, it, it obviously it had an influence in your life. I mean, sports is a, a major part of your life. You know, uh, in a, and I used this quote earlier, and I think it's just a great quote uh, from Hank Aaron. My motto is to always keep swinging. Whether I'm in a slump or feeling badly or having trouble off the field, the only thing to do was to keep swinging. And that's from a quote from uh, uh, Hank Aaron. So we honor Hank Aaron today, but we also need to move on to some other conversations, and that's about the NFL. Now, obviously, I would be remiss if I did not talk about the hiring, <laughs> the hiring of, of the new Eagles head coach, and, and uh, Nick Serrani, it's kind of a, a, a weird coincidence that we got your offensive coordinator as a head coach. Now you get our offensive head coordinator as a, as a head coach. Certainly there might be some competitive advantages of this, but I guess my biggest question to you, and I, and I sent you this text yesterday, the Colts hire Nick Serrani, question mark, question mark. It, it like literally that was – when I saw that, that was the first time I even heard they were talking about. You and I were talking about Lincoln Riley. We were talking about Josh McDaniels. There were a lot of other people that we were talking about being the head coach. How did, how did the Eagles end up with Nick Serrani? Great pick. Colts are going to lose him. I, I, a lot of questions around the Colts yet we can get into in a bit here. But great hire for the Eagles. But was that something that you even knew was on the radar? 
Well, I wrote about how it kind of went down. Um, and, it, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, you know, at Kratzy, you can see the link. I mean, I'll be writing about a lot about Sirianni, and he may probably bring your secondary coach, Jonathan Gannon, on board to be his defensive coordinator. Um, so he's going to take some coaches from your staff, uh, I would think, at least one, maybe more. So, you know, I'll be writing about all that, you know, in the days and weeks to come here. But uh, as far as him getting hired, I mean, the buzz was about Josh McDaniels, no question about it. And, you know, I had uh, my, a couple of my sources told me that uh, Howie Roseman, the general manager had actually to the assistant coaches, some of the assistant coaches that they were going to hire Josh McDaniels. And uh, that's why you saw some of the assistants start sending some feelers out. Uh, You know, Jeff Stoutland, they're really, really talented offensive line coach was in the mix for the Alabama offensive line job. Uh, But anyway, so these assistants get, word that they're hiring McDaniels and then the buzz grows that McDaniels is going to get hired. But Jeffrey Lurie, the owner owner wasn't really sold on McDaniels yet. So coming out of last weekend, he arranged a few more interviews. They spoke to Todd Bowles. They spoke to Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator with the Cowboys. And they spoke to Dennis Allen the New Orleans Saints defensive coordinator. And they talked to Nick Sirianni, um, which, you know, I really didn't know a whole lot about Nick, to be honest. I had heard of the other three guys, obviously, um, but I was like, Nick Sirianni, but that's, that's an interesting name. So I started to look it up. And then next thing you hear is they started the interview Tuesday with Nick. It didn't end until sometime early Wednesday in the, in the morning hours. So clearly they liked him. Um, and then Thursday, the news broke that the Eagles were going to make him their next head coach. And um, you're right. It's ironic that, you know, Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia, goes to the Colts to be the head coach because Josh McDaniels stiffed Indianapolis backing out of the deal uh, and here Josh McDaniels is in the mix here and I even heard late in the process that McDaniels was growing doubtful of taking the Eagles job if it were offered because of their front office structure so again you know he, he's a coach that's proven himself not to be very trustworthy uh, and I'm to be honest that I'm happy that they didn't hire him for many reasons but uh, sure that that being said Nick is I think you know, I think he brings kind of that Frank Reich mentality, which, you know, the Eagles saw firsthand for two years when he was the OC here in Philadelphia. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking myself into this being a pretty good hire by Philadelphia. Well, I think it's certainly a much better hire than Josh McDaniels for obvious reasons. Yeah. A lot of people think he's the heir apparent to, to Bill Belichick anyway. That's, that's a, another rabbit hole we could jump down another time. Speaking of the Eagles, Colts, quarterbacks, Philip Rivers announced his retirement. I mean, yeah. I'm okay with it. I mean, I think we had a good season. We had maybe not a great season. We got to the playoffs. I think we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish with Philip Rivers. I know he's got a lot on his agenda. He wants to coach high school football and get into the coaching field. He's got like 16 kids. I don't know exactly. I know he's got a lot. That 16 <laughs> might be just he does. I know he's, got, he's got a bunch. I know that. Nine kids maybe I think is, is what it is. So I, one would wonder, are the Eagles committed to fixing Carson Wentz and making that work? Do they look at a situation with a trade with the Colts? To be honest, here on the homeland and local media and local social media and everybody I know here in Indianapolis that are Colts fans, which is, well, everybody in Indianapolis is a Colts fan. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> there, there, there are a few other Bears and Bengals and Browns fans are uh, scattered around. I'm just kidding. But everybody likes Matthew Stafford. And honestly, 
to me, I nothing against Carson Wentz, but I, I also saw, you know, I think it was in your article somewhere, where you broke down the chances of where the quarterbacks are going, and and I, and I apologize if I misquote you, but I thought you said around five percent chance that Matthew Stafford has of going to the Colts. Are we? Is that is that a pipe dream? Because we're going to have to give up a lot to get Matthew Stafford. But is the risk worth the reward? Does the, the does that make everything worth it? Because again, uh, Jim Irsay, owner of the Colts. Wants to win now and quickly. Yeah, I mean, certainly he would be in the mix. You would have to give up a bunch, not as much probably to go out and get the Sean Watson, but, you know, Jameis Winston could be a possibility too. I mean, you look at this Colts offense and it's, they love to run football, you know, and that's Frank Reich's philosophy is to run the football. Jonathan Taylor as a rookie had a a terrific season uh, coming on late, Uh, but, you know, they've Naheem Hines, Hines, uh, you know, there was they had a running back, Kurt Marlin Mack, this year. So, I mean, they have the pieces in place to run the ball. So, do you really need to go out and get yourself a quarterback like Matthew Stafford that can throw the ball? Or do you just want to maybe go on the cheap a little bit here and hopefully draft somebody uh, with someone who can just kind of manage the game for you? And you don't have to rely too much on his arm um, to win football games. Obviously, a quarterback plays a big hand and wins. But, you know, you can find a game manager, I think, for cheaper um, than having to break the bank and draft collateral for someone like Matt Stafford or Deshaun Watson and, you know, Carson Wentz, even although I don't think Wentz would really, you know, cost that much to bring him on board. Um, And just because the Eagles hired Nick Sirianni uh, doesn't mean that Carson is not going to want to get traded. I mean, right now he's under so much pressure in this city as it is. And now all these external pressures of him being uncoachable and, you know, insubordinate by changing plays at the line. I mean, all these reports that have come out now, and even the hiring of Suriani, you know, he, he's expected to have that kid glove approach to Carson Wentz, whereas Josh McDaniels would have come in and been a little more brash with his handling of Carson. It's always McDaniels way or the highway to the bench. Uh, and so I think the Eagles took the kid glove approach, try to appease Carson, but it doesn't mean he's going to be back. So could he be looked at by the Colts, who, who obviously Frank has a familiarity with? Yeah, sure. I think that there's a better possibility that maybe Zach Ertz, the Eagles' tight end, goes to Indianapolis. I've heard, you know, I've talked to some people who said there's some, you know, some balls in the air on that front that they could bring in Ertz to be the tight end, um, you know, to go with Doyle, who's more of a blocking tight end, mm-hmm. um, you know. But, but you know, and again, it depends who Frank picks to be his offensive coordinator to replace Suriani. Does he – elevate the quarterbacks coach, Marcus Brady. Um, you know, who does he bring in? Does he make Tyler Boyles, who's an assistant head coach, the, the OC? I don't, I don't know. Um, but I think it, whoever they bring in, it's going to de- be dependent on that. And, um, you know, Sirianni, as far as fixing Wentz, I mean, what I like about Nick is he's worked with three different quarterbacks during his time in Indianapolis. You know, he had Andrew Luck made him the comeback player of the year, great year in 2018 and Andrew decides to retire and then 19 they're dealing with Jacoby Brissett um, you know and they were in the mix you know they were winning games early with Brissett I think and then the kind of the wheels came off a little bit later in the year and they started to lose some games and then last year of course with Philip Rivers so I think that kind of history with Sirianni three quarterbacks in three years certainly lends some uh, credence to hiring him to kind of work with Wentz and even Jalen Hurts. Talking with Ed Kraft, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and SI.com. I do want to get into the two games tomorrow. 
But Adam Johns of The Athletic uh, lit a fire on Twitter, social media uh, this past week, saying that Deuce Staley was interested by the Chicago Bears to be the running back coach. He later uh, backpedaled that, even deleted a tweet. Yesterday I saw his tweet and said, let me rephrase this. The Bears haven't spoken to Deuce Staley. I deleted the original tweet because of it. I jumped the gun a little bit, but there is interest there. However, that is it for now. But it did create a firestorm. But a lot, of, a lot of times they say there's a lot of truth in a in a lot of lies. However, that thing where, goes. Yeah, or, or where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. So yeah. what? Well, what what do you know about that? Well, I mean, look, Deuce interviewed for the second time to be the Eagles head coach. You know, he interviewed for it back in 2016. They hired Peterson. This year, they, he interviewed for it and they hired Sirianni. So, you know, uh, his time in Philadelphia certainly looks like it's up and run its course. And he's been uh, as an assistant here for 10 years. So uh, the thing about Deuce, though, is he really hasn't generated a whole lot of buzz in the league. And here we go with the minority hiring thing. I mean, I certainly think Deuce is qualified to be at least an offensive coordinator in this league. He's never called plays, but Sirianni hasn't either. And he's a head coach now. Um, So I think Deuce is certainly qualified to at least be an offensive coordinator. It was odd that, you know, a lot of players, past and former Eagles players, texted owner Jeffrey Lurie and threw their ring, their hat in the ring behind Deuce Staley, saying he's a great leader of men, he'd be a great hire, uh, and yet they didn't hire him. So I think Deuce is going to have to move on. Uh, maybe the Bears, I mean, if that comes to fruition. But, you know, will he be a running backs coach again? I mean, it's just kind of a lateral move. But I don't see how he comes back to Philadelphia. So I hope other opportunities for Deuce develop. Great guy, great coach, great leader of men. Um, who I think, you know, it's a shame that he hasn't been given that opportunity yet uh, to be an offensive coordinator somewhere. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and SA.com, our official NFL contributor. Tomorrow we will know who goes through the Super Bowl. And it is going to be a Super Bowl of quarterbacks, if you will. Let's, let's talk about one, the obvious, uh, the, the elephant in the room. Tom Brady to another Super Bowl, first first year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not wearing a New England Patriot outfit. I must say that I like Tom Brady much better in red than I do in blue and white. But and then Aaron, Aaron Rodgers certainly playing an MVP career, going back to the Super Bowl. You got the Bills who who are, have had a historic season to get to where they're at to even have a chance to get to the Super Bowl, and then you got Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs who. By all accounts, uh, Patrick Mahomes might be the next Tom Brady. At least, has there's some possibility there. So let's let's talk about the Buccaneers and the Packers. Either one of these teams that go to the Super Bowl, it's great. And the fact that we're even having a Super Bowl, in spite of everything that happened, is, is yeah. a, a total accomplishment in itself. Are we yeah, are we ready? Right. To, yeah. Are we ready to anoint? Tom Brady, if he goes to the Super Bowl and wins as the best NFL quarterback ever to play the game. At the beginning of the season, we talked about this divorce between him and Belichick and who would right. win this divorce, right. this, this custody battle. And it looks like Brady uh, is the hands-down winner of, of that settlement, if you will. Uh, <laughs> his 14th appearance. Yeah, his 14th appearance in a, in a championship game. I mean, that's just incredible considering – He's been in the league, what, 20 years or so? I mean, that, that, that to me is amazing. He's trying to get back to his 10th Super Bowl, um, you know, and he's got a really great chance at it. I mean, this Bucks team beat the Packers back in week six, I think it was. He, he beat them 38-10, to 10, and, 
Aaron Rodgers only threw for 160 yards in that game. Um, but I suspect Rodgers will have a much better game this time around. But it's going to be fun to see which old guy gets into the Super Bowl here. And then on the AFC side, you have the two young guys, the two stars of the future in this league, stars of the present, really, uh, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, exciting battle. Um, I, I, you know, I don't like the fact that the Bills can't run the ball. I think that eventually will catch up with them, and it probably does on Sunday um, because you have to really, I think, be able to run the ball at least a little bit. Uh, but Josh Allen's really risen to the occasion in these playoffs and through, throughout the season. So that's good. I hope they're two really good games because on paper, they look to be two really, really good games. I hope so. I've, I've really become a fan of Josh Allen. I think uh, Buffalo has found their, their next uh, franchise quarterback, if you will. And, and God, thank God forbid, that's not what I mean. But if he gets to the Super Bowl, it's going to be insane. And I have a, a – we have a kind of a running tradition that whoever, just because we're in the AFC, whoever wins the AFC to go to the Super Bowl, we buy some gear. I have no, I have Kansas City Chiefs gear. I have absolutely no Buffalo Bills gear. And I, and, and if I, that goes, I want to get in one of those nostalgic hats with the old, with the old Buffalo Bills uh, logo on that. Yeah. I, I do you have some Eagles gear though as well. Go ahead. Good. I was going to say, you must have a, a ton of New England Patriots stuff, right? A lot of TB 12 hats and uh, yeah. Brady jerseys, right? Yeah. Some, for some reason, whenever that happened, my credit card wasn't working. I don't know. I don't know what caused that. It's amazing. Yeah. Funny how so, that yeah, works. there is a gap in my collection. <laughs> I'm glad you have some Eagle stuff, though. That's, that's good to hear. Yeah, they had their moment three years ago. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, um, it's always a different team in the NFC, it seems. You know, that AFC has been really kind of dominated by, you know, the Patriots and now the Chiefs. But the NFC, you know, we had the Rams, we had the Falcons, we had the Eagles, we had the 49ers. This year we're going to have either the Bucks or the Packers. I mean, there's always this fresh blood rising up. And I say fresh blood, and yet here we are talking about two quarterbacks that are, you know, on the you know the backsides of their career. So, uh, you know, I, it's, it's interesting. I was on a business call with someone yesterday, and she she recently moved to Oklahoma, uh, Tulsa, and she's in Tulsa now. Which I was talking with them business wise, we were having a conversation about the the Eagles and the Colts, and and she's a diehard Eagles fan. She goes, I, I get to Tulsa, and I find out everybody's a Dallas fan. I can't go to a sports bar and wear my Eagles fan. She goes, I, I, I have to hire a security guard. <laughs> so I guess I guess everybody in Tulsa is a Dallas fan, which doesn't doesn't uh, play well with Eagles fans. No, I'm just kidding. But she's like, yeah, I'm in a whole uh, different environment. And uh, she she jokes. She goes, I married some cowboy from Oklahoma, and here I am in Oklahoma. <laughs> Because it's a whole new world for me. <laughs> yeah, you really got to be careful what you wear and what kind of statement you're making when you move. You got to kind of get a lay of the land first before you start breaking out that kind of stuff. That's right. That's right. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. I appreciate you sharing your Hank Aaron memory with us. That's a pretty awesome memory. And I appreciate the time that you've given us. We're going to have you on our Super Bowl special. And obviously, we still got a little bit more left in the season. Uh, but where can people find your work in Masterpieces, sir? Well, I'll be writing a lot about the Colts, and, you know, I'm, I've really immersed myself in the Colts and some of these receivers like Zach Pascal that, you know, played under Nick Sirianni. Great season from Zach Pascal. A couple seasons, really, since he broke in as an undrafted free agent. So I, I'm starting to really dig deep into the Colts. So you can follow me on Twitter, at Kratzy, K-R-A-T. 
CZE. You can find all my links there that I'll be writing about Nick Sirianni and maybe Jonathan Gannon if he becomes the defensive coordinator. And uh, so if you're a Colts fan, you might want to check it out. How's that moonshine hanging up for you, sir? Have you finished yeah, it? You know, I'm, I, 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 <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I did have I did have a few uh, slurps the uh, last night. Actually, I had a couple slurps uh, early in the evening. So yeah, I'm, you know, I haven't I haven't I, put it in my gas tank yet. I'm still drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I still got my bottle too. So rest assured on that. Ed, we'll be talking Good with man. you soon. Have yourself a great weekend. Thank you, Tommy. Too. All right. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, great friend of the show, great friend of mine. Always love having him on and, and just his insight and just the, the memory that he was able to share with us uh, regarding uh, Hank Aaron and the passing of Hank Aaron. So we honor uh, Hank Aaron, and we're going to go a little out a little bit differently than, than we normally do Uh to, to kind of to memorize Hank Aaron again. We're going to play our tribute again to, to Hank Aaron. Thanks to our friends over at Inside Edition for providing for this. My name's Tom Marcos, El Presidente. Make sure you follow us at T-Balance, uh, The Balance on Facebook, and download us on TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, download us. And if you're already listening to us on the podcast, go ahead and hit like, hit thumbs up. My name's Tom Marcos, El Presidente. Don't take a drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. Sullivan of the Red Sox is in to face Hank Aaron of the Braves. Boom. Boom. Aaron drives the one. Baseball legend Hank Aaron has died. Hammer and Hank was known as the home run king, one of the best players in the history of the game. In the spring of 1974, Aaron broke Babe Ruth's all-time home run record of 714 when he hit his 715th home run. When Aaron retired in 1976, he had 755 lifetime home runs, a record that stood for over 30 years. Hammering Hank Aaron is the RBI leader of the Hank club. Aaron follows with a scorching liner through the shortstop for a base. Hank Aaron was raised in the Jim Crow South and had to contend with racism throughout his storied career. While Babe Ruth's playing years were spent exclusively in segregated all-white leagues, Aaron began playing for a so-called Negro League team. He joined the Braves organization in 1952 and spent the majority of his baseball years there. According to the Baseball Hall of Fame, Muhammad Ali once called Hank Aaron the only man I idolize more than myself. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1982. Hank Aaron was 86. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.